Why not become a My Perfect Console Patreon supporter? For just $5 a month, you will get your episodes early and ad-free. You'll get access to the members-only My Perfect Console Community Lounge. You'll receive guest announcements exclusively before the general public. You can pitch questions to future guests, download bonus episodes in which guests answer those questions, and vote in the annual My Perfect Console Best Console of the Year knockout competition coming later in 2023. Hop along to www.patreon.com forward slash myperfectconsole and become a supporter. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to My Perfect Console. I'm Simon Parkin and in each episode I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present or the one that so obsessed them it caused them to fail their exams or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a difficult breakup. Games a bit like songs often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives. When we return to them, they can become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, for my perfect console. My guest today is a writer and narrative designer for independent and blockbuster video games. Born in London, she studied English literature at Kingston University, then completed her postgrad in journalism. She worked as a freelance writer, contributing to The Guardian and the BBC, often covering video games and the lack of representation of people of colour within the industry. In 2014, she took a course titled Writing for Games 
which resulted in Before I Forget, an affecting game in which you play as a dementia sufferer. In 2020, she joined Massive Entertainment, the Swedish developer of The Division, to work as a senior narrative designer on an open-world action-adventure game based on the James Cameron-directed Avatar films. She is also writing Windrush Tales, a narrative video game about the triumphs and tribulations of two Caribbean immigrants to post-war Britain in the world's first Windrush-themed video game. Welcome, Shella Ramanan. Hi, sounds really impressive. <laughs> it is really impressive. <laughs> um, were there any mistakes in that, or am I okay? No, no, it was it was great. I'm like, wow, she sounds uh-huh. cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to start just by, I guess, jumping off the deep end a bit. I wanted to ask you about your Windrush project because we happen to be speaking on Windrush Day in the UK, and uh, I was actually watching the. Uh, BBC One's main six o'clock news last night. And there was a long story with fresh details about the scandal. So it's you know very much an ongoing thing in the news, certainly in Britain. Could you just explain to listeners who perhaps don't know what it refers to, what what Windrush means? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it refer to? Yeah, so the Windrush, which became known as the Windrush Generation, was um, a period of immigration from the Caribbean to the UK between 1948 and I think like about 1972, um, so over several decades. Mm-hmm. So post-war Britain was pretty much on its knees and had labour shortage and invited people from across the Commonwealth, but there was a big response from the Caribbean. So they invited people, mm-hmm. British citizens, you know, um, citizens of the former empire, which was then the Commonwealth. And I think they expected... Canadians and Australians to answer the call and Mm. they got people from Nigeria and the Caribbean and the Indian subcontinent and uh, they weren't quite expecting that. Am I right thinking people were coming to sort of help rebuild London after the Blitz, at least in the early years? Yeah, so it was, you know, these people who came at that time were foundationals in building the NHS the rail system, so British Rail, the bus systems, London bus, and, you know, outside London as well, you know, people were in Bristol, Liverpool, Birmingham, and, you know, sort of foundational part of those infrastructures that were created in post-war Britain. And the the scandal part all started in about 2018, and this was to do with the, the Home Office deporting, basically, people who had come as part of the Windrush Generation, which refers to the name of the ship, the first ship that came, uh-huh. doesn't it? The uh-huh. Empire Windrush, and um, claiming that these individuals were not actually British citizens and they had to return home. Uh-huh. Uh, is that is that is that sort of the the long and short of it? Yeah, I mean, the Windrush scandal was just the exposure of you know ten years of a hostile immigration policy that you know it had been hidden that it was affecting people who came during the the Windrush immigration period, you know, people thought, and it was terrible no matter who it was affecting, any immigrants that it was impacting. But, you know, the fact that they, under this hostile immigration policy, which was started by Theresa May when, back when she was Home Secretary, and then the scandal was unveiled when she was Prime Minister. (laughs) The fact that, you know, these people were invited, they were British citizens, and their, some of their papers had been destroyed whilst Theresa May was Home Secretary. 
So they couldn't actually prove the things that they were suddenly asked to prove. People couldn't access the NHS. People died, literally died because of... These are in, in older individuals as well, aren't they? So it's people sort of in mm-hmm. the 60s, 70s mm-hmm. and 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Typically. yeah. yeah, typically, but also younger as well, because some people who came as babies and then were asked for papers because, you know, people were coming right up until, you know, 1970, 71. So they could be relatively young too. You're a a British Caribbean woman. How does the story relate to you and your story in any way? Yeah, so my dad and my uncle, I suppose, would be considered part of the Windrush generation. They both came to London in the 50s and studied they went to university and you know were just yeah just part of the early British Caribbean community yeah I went to school in Notting Hill Gate so I suppose yeah that was kind of a hub you know we still have carnival there and you know it's a a hub of Caribbean community in the early days it's different now because it's kind of gentrified (laughs) but you know back then it was that was the soundtrack to my childhood was sort of like reggae music drifting over the the air across the streets and stuff like that in london Mm. at that time yeah you've chosen to to make a video game about this rather difficult topic i think you know there can be some trepidation from game developers when it comes to representing these quite traumatic historical events in video games because I suppose partly because games are interactive and there's a risk perhaps that you imply to players that if they make the right decisions or whatever then perhaps they could change the fate of the the characters which I suppose you know if you're making a game about the holocaust for example could be a bit problematic so you know how are you getting around some of that difficult terrain in your game which I'm sure you've considered deeply (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I suppose the story of people who came over is isn't a story of trauma. It's a story of hope, and you know, at least at the beginning, you know, and it's like a sense of belonging because they were British, they were going to the mother country, and you know, there were sort of like hopes and dreams there. And yes, they were met with hostility, and there were lots of hardships and things but there was also you know like the building of community and you know literally sort of changed the face of Britain you know being those foundational part of that sort of building of the NHS and so you know I think there's a lot of sense of pride so it's kind of finding because like the just that the everyday of people is even when they are living in traumatic circumstances isn't just like minute to minute trauma. There's always human connection and kindnesses like woven into that. So I think it's about uh, sort of like unpacking who our characters are, what um, matters to them and what their hopes and dreams are. And then how the backdrop of that experience flavors and adds texture to that, to that journey. Mm. Yeah, super interesting. You know, as I mentioned in the introduction, your previous game was about uh, dementia. You're sort of, it, it is very delicately presented game about, about degenerative illness, but obviously that is also a, a fraught topic. Um, what attracts you to these quite big subjects that maybe other developers might shy away from, do you think? Uh, 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why um, the eye take on these things. Neither of us have personal experience of dementia, fortunately for us. So Claire Morwood is my co-developer at Threefold Games. But yeah, I guess I had that as a writer, you know, I was writing prose before I started writing games and I had that sort of like Nolan-esque preoccupation with memory <laughs> and what it means, like what happens when someone loses their memory, are they a different person, who do they become, you know, because there's still a person there. And so, yeah, it was just based on that sort of curiosity and <laughs> uh, also it was very topical at the time. And I guess I am interested in, we as both as Threefold Games are interested in why games don't tell these stories. Mm. You know, they are both everyday and dramatic and filled with conflict. And yes. that's a good place to tell a story. Yes. So yeah, it's about sort of like uh, uh, asking the question, like what is a game and why can't games do this as well? as films and books and TV. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we will get into this later, but, it, you, you know, you do straddle these two worlds and that you are making, you know, quite serious independent games with your your um, development partner. And then you're also working on, like, you know, the biggest of big <laughs> blockbuster entertainment. It doesn't get much bigger than Avatar, does it? It doesn't. <laughs> and when we were, before we started recording, you were just saying that you've just come from, like, a voice recording session. What does it feel like to occupy those two worlds? And some of the things that you were talking about just there that you think games should be doing in the same way that books and films do are you able to introduce any of that to the to the world of avatar yeah i think so i think i'm i'm really lucky in terms of my narrative team and my narrative director and her storytelling sensibilities definitely is she's all about games can have good writing and should have good writing and should have storytelling grounded in good characters with believable motivations and needs and goals in order to drive plot and story and elevate the gameplay experience. So I'm lucky in that respect. <laughs> well, it seems like a good moment to come to our uh, the premise of the podcast. I've asked you to pick the five video games you'd like to install in your very own perfect ideal fictional games machine. Your first game is from 1994 and I think it fits some of these criteria that you're describing directed by a previous guest of the show. Do you want to tell us what is this uh, this game and uh, why have you chosen it? It is Beneath a Steel Sky. first game I ever played because um but it's the first game I really wanted to play and was invested in I didn't play games as a kid because it was just something that we couldn't afford it was yeah it was just like a thing that other people had in their houses when I went round to people's houses Brilliant. played Super Mario Brothers when I was with my Grenadian cousins in Grenada one summer so yeah I was just sitting on the gorgeous island of Grenada inside place <laughs> there's just speed running that and it was fun but it didn't really engage me beyond that moment that cool moment with my cousins it didn't make me think like oh i want one of those machines or you know i suddenly need to play 
it was fun and that was it. And then, you know, sometimes I'd go around to a friend's house or, and they'd have a computer and get this huge book out and we'd have to spend an hour just like plugging code in and stuff. And I was just like, and the, the sort of the trials and tribulations to get to the point of a game that might actually just crash as soon as you tried to load it. I was just like, this is the kind of yeah, painful entertainment <laughs> <laughs> option. So yeah, so those were my experiences of games up to this point until I went to uni. And then there were some kids who like brought machines with them and my friend Scouser had an Amiga and we used to just like in the halls of residence just hang out of like getting stuck until like dawn or whatever. I don't know if we're allowed drug references on your podcast, but you can <laughs> edit that out if it's not 420 friendly. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, so you'd be playing beneath the still sky sort of during these sessions would yeah you? yeah so we'd play it together basically as yeah. uh, it was a group a very much a sort of communal experience you know it was like we didn't have the internet then so if we got stuck we'd get stuck on a thing we'd all be trying to figure it out and the scouser had this guy called martin who'd like finished the game so he did, he wasn't at uni he was i don't know what martin did but he was just like scouser's mate and then we'd be like phone martin he was like the helpline yeah so we'd like <laughs> literally like he'd go downstairs to the phone in the hall student halls phone martin to ask how to get us this bit we'd got stuck on <laughs> that's incredible so just uh, just describe the game so it's, it's made by revolution software um, directed by charles cecil and it's a sort of adventure game isn't it but uh steampunky that is that right yeah sort of like it's cyberpunk i'd say yeah i guess maybe yeah. it does have a little bit of steampunk yeah it's kind of a cyberpunk i guess a blade runnery type thing but it's yeah it's still quite industrial but it has british so it's a point and click and it has those obtuse puzzles where, you know, like right, put yeah. jam on the <laughs> doorknob to attract the bees or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, it's funny. Um, so, yeah, I guess me being a, I was doing a literature degree then and interested in story, it immediately engaged me more than Mario did for those reasons, you know, like right, the yeah. dialogue was really funny and um, it looked amazing at the time. I can't believe that you can just like <laughs> play it on your phone or like play it, play it on a postage stamp now, but it looked yeah. incredible at the time. And, you know, had this um, helicopter car crash. So it's like this city sort of cyberpunk cityscape and there's helicopter crashes at the beginning and you're on a ledge in this. And you've got a cool coat on, of course, because you have to, when it's cyberpunk, you have to have like a cool coat. Yep. But then it has like this character who's a northern factory mill owner sort of type of character who's just like nay lads and stuff like this and so it has that sort of revolution software humor yeah it was just yeah a really sort of formative experience for me because then then I didn't even know what a point and click was or what the genre was I was mm -hmm. just I want to play another game like that so yeah so at some point I borrowed Scouser's Amiga when we moved out of halls, and yeah, he left it. Was Scouser his name or, or where he was no, from? No, he was called Paul, but yeah, he was just like he was just from Liverpool. 
and this was the South, so <laughs> the imagination like, of students. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, so he lent me his Amiga, and I played it. Yeah, so it was the first game I played alone from start to finish. You know, myself. Yeah, mm. yeah, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic! So let, let's uh, let's wind the clock back a little bit. You've talked a little bit about growing up in um, in South London, but did you live in Notting Hill? Uh, no, we lived in Holland you Park. Went to school there. Yeah, I went to so it's just like a walk up the road, basically. Yeah, yeah, right. Nice, all around Portobello Road and all yeah, of that. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, Shepherd's Bush, great part of London. Stuff. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And uh, did you have siblings? Yeah, I have an older brother who's like seven and a half years older than me. Right, okay, and what uh, what were your parents up to at that time? Were they both around? Um, so my dad, so my brother and I have different fathers. So his father is was a poet jazz musician from St. Vincent and <laughs> my dad was a civil engineer. So he was around for a little bit of my childhood until um, about four and then he moved back to the Caribbean so that he was in Tobago. So yeah, it was just my brother and my mum basically. That's yeah, our family unit and then my relationship with my dad for a really long time was just letters, basically. Mm. And did you, you you mentioned going to um, Grenada? Did you did you go to the Caribbean often? I didn't. So like, yeah. So it was my relationship with him was letters until I was about fourteen, and then he said, "Oh, would it? I wonder if he was waiting until I was like a certain age and could fly alone or something like that." I think he wrote the letter. Like I wrote a separate letter to my mum inside my letter. And it was like, does Shella want to come to Washington, D.C. to meet her cousins and then we'll go to Grenada? And I didn't even know I had cousins at that point. So this was like really exciting because, yeah, I had this whole black side of the family that I just never saw. My mum is white, Scottish. I didn't have that kind of black influence in in my home, basically. So this was kind of really cool. Like I had like American cousins. It's like, wow. Yeah. How did you feel when you got off the plane? And when I, yeah, so I'd never been on a plane before. Yeah, it was a whole adventure. And then, um, yeah, my uncle and aunt picked me up in D.C. Uh, actually, yeah, so we went, we flew out to meet my dad. So, yeah, the first people I met were my uncle and aunt. And then my cousins had, like, drawn a little banner Aww. to say, like, welcome, Shella, or something like that. It was very cute. And that was amazing because it was just, like being a sort of young teenager in america i was like super cool because it's just like being in a movie like their houses are bigger and everything's cooler and you know there's sort of affluent middle-class black family so they had like a swimming pool wow (laughs) you know it was just like for me i was just like what that's such an intense few days though for you because you're getting on a plane for the first time going to america for the first time meeting all this family you've never met before and then flying to meet your dad who you haven't seen for years yeah that's a lot yeah it was a lot yeah so then yeah so then we flew to grenada all together to meet my dad and yeah so that was because all I had was like a photo of him and I'm sitting on his lap when I'm like four or something um but his uh or was he was a very charming man he's everyone's favorite uncle <laughs> all my cousins were like uncle Norris the best uncle <laughs> so because he's funny and mischievous and you know all the things that I guess a good uncle should be <laughs> yeah 
And you said that, you know, games weren't part of your childhood, but I'm guessing that books were because you go on to do this English lit degree. So, yeah, what what role did literature have for you or, you know, novels or whatever when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, I was just reading constantly. So my brother's seven and a half years older than me, so he wasn't really a playmate. Uh, you know, he was always like studying for exams and things, boring stuff like that. And <laughs> so, yeah, I was just like a highly romantic child with a capital R, kind of like <laughs> lost in books, loved stuff like Jane Eyre and, you know, like watching the old movie versions of that right. with Orson Welles and Voracious Reader. And then, yeah, just like reading everything, basically. Mm. Did you want to be a novelist at that point? I did, yeah. I was always trying to write crappy stories. <laughs> Yeah, I did always want to yeah. write. Okay, let's come to your, your second game then, uh, Shella. So tell us about this one. This is from the year 2000. A little different from your first choice, I'd say. <laughs> What's this game? This is Tony Hawk's skateboarding or pro skateboarding, as it's called in the US. As it says on the tin, it's a skateboarding game. This game basically just captured the zeitgeist. I think for me it was like a golden era of games. PlayStation was just this phenomenon that it came to be, you know, it was like you know what was that like a 10 year console generation or something like that you know it was incredible you know there was sort of rave culture going on in the UK at the time and you know this sort of like all the music was good (laughs) at the time and Tony Hawk's just kind of captured that energy of the period Yeah, it was all licensed uh, music, wasn't yeah, it, from, from yeah. bands? And, uh, so it was all like Less Than Jake and Blink-182 and yeah, just amazing soundtrack. And basically I had a friend from uni who was in the games industry. I think he was in sales at that time. So he wasn't working for a publisher yet. He went on to work for Konami, but um, I think he was just a, a sales rep. And uh, he'd come home with like demos and stuff like that sometimes, or like come round. And he came round one day and he dropped this demo disc and it was for Tony Hawks. And another drug reference, so I was getting stoned again with friends. There were certain friends who'd like come round, this couple uh, who'd come round, get stoned, and we were just obsessed with this demo. We'd like, they'd come round every night and we'd just play the frick out of this demo and it was just like i think it was like one level maybe two levels at most right we played that for like literally months in fact like my (laughs) mate came round and we were playing it he's like east i'll buy you the full game (laughs) at this point (laughs) yeah we just like played it to death with and you know just like anticipating this game because We'd just put on dance music or something because we were always going clubbing and going raving and stuff. So we just put our, sometimes put our own music on it and just like 
get stoned and like get in the zone and just be doing the half pipe to this like track and just yeah and it was it was just great it was a really good time it's, it's a game that really encourages flow states yeah. doesn't it because it's not very um i would say it's not a realistic interpretation of skateboarding you've got like tony hawk is like you know doing insane moves all the time and you're just hammering the buttons yeah. that he's doing linking yeah. together tricks and all of that and when you, there's just, it's such a great feeling, isn't it? When you're like switching from a, yeah. you know, doing a spin and then landing and doing a 360 Christ air was the <laughs> ultimate move. Set down circle. <laughs> I love it. Still remember the buttons. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just remember like my friends going up, down, circle. I was like, I'm trying. <laughs> and the clock ticks down as well. Because, yeah, I think you only had certain modes on the demo. We just right. loved that game so much. Right, let's uh, let's get back to your story then. So you you yeah, you're in Kingston and doing your English literature degree and discovering point and click adventure games. Uh, what's the plan at this point then? So did you want to graduate and become a journalist, or were you going to try and write write books, or what was the plan? Yeah, the plan was to be a journalist. Yeah, anything in a sort of creative media field, I guess that mm. that I could get a job in. How smooth was was that? Because it can be quite difficult set, starting out, particularly in the UK. Yeah, no, it was it was tough. Yeah, I didn't go straight from uni into a journalist position. Um, it was yeah, I was I think I was unemployed for almost a year yeah I remember my course or my department secretary or whatever phoned up because I guess they do this survey of graduates it was the most depressing phone call of my life because she phoned up she was like hi Shella she's like I'm just phoning around everyone to see what you're doing and I was like oh yeah I'm unemployed thanks for that I could do I could do the cry stare yeah, really well sometimes. I did have a job by then. Let <laughs> it be noted. <laughs> um, yeah, so I got a job at, at um, an inline skate uh, distributor. Actually, funnily enough, um, yeah, really. Um, and it was just I was just a receptionist, and I was there for quite a long time, just applying for stuff. And yeah, and that's when I decided to yeah so I was always doing there was like a Vogue journalist competition and stuff like that so I like apply for stuff like that like as if anyone called Shella Ramanan was going to get a job at Vogue at that time <laughs> just <laughs> <laughs> I'd have had to be amazing and I wasn't so um yeah so I did yeah this post-grad course that I found yeah there was some there were lots of kind of indie magazines at the time then, you know, sort of like cool culture magazines doing street culture type things mm. kicking around. So I saw it in the back of one of those that I liked reading. And yeah, it was just advertising for yeah a journalism degree that I was like, that sounds cool. And you could get funding. It had some sort of like grant funding oh, schemes right. attached nice. to it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I did, I did that. And then... And then, yeah, so then I was like, okay, I need to specialise in some, you know, what sort of field of journalism do I want to go into? And mm. I thought about film, but film felt like, because it was all like Barry Norman and, uh, you know, it was just like felt like white guy, like old white guys kind of thing. And I don't know why I thought video games wasn't that, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> 
I don't know. The naivete was just... Uh, well, I suppose it was young white guys, at least, rather than old ones. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. So, and I guess, yeah, it just seemed a bit more kind of street and, yeah, like less established, I think. Might be opportunities there. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess I didn't, yeah, yeah, I didn't move through the world thinking, well, that's going to be closed to me because I'm a woman and I'm black, you know, <laughs> I just thought, yeah, this is like young and vibrant and and interested in it. And I could write about that. You know, my friend, he was at, by this point, he was at Konami. And so, you know, I'd hear about inside the industry and it was really interesting hearing about. Yes, yeah, so I wasn't just interested in oh, what's the latest game. And I was I liked the the movements, like the way that people like move around the industry and then the, this person who was on this team for, you know, Beneath the Still Sky, for instance, and now they've moved to this publisher or this developer over here. And so there's this like through line, this sort of like rock family tree type thing. But for video games, I found yeah. that really interesting. Yeah, and I guess through your friends, you have a slight sort of peek behind the curtain, don't you? Yeah, that Lots exactly. of other people don't have. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And it, I mean, it, it does work out and you start getting you know, commissions and uh, all, all sorts of lovely places. Um, what was it that made you take this course then in writing for games in 2014 or around then? Yes, and the course was actually at the Arvon Foundation. So it was Hedden Bridge. I was seriously pursuing trying to write a novel basically so um i was running a writing group yeah i'd been going like even so i moved out of london even when i was in london i was i'd go to writing evening classes and things like that and then um yeah i moved to somerset and yeah so i did that again so i was always at writing classes or in some sort of writing group and then i decided to create my own because I wanted to curate the people who were in my writing group so that they would be good writers. <laughs> you know, diligent selection process. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I was just like, as long as they can write and are good at giving feedback, because otherwise There's... you're kind of wasting your time because you're not honing your craft. And yeah, I just wanted to be surrounded by people who were good and were kind of serious about it. Um, so yeah, so I was writing this novel about a man with no memory. <laughs> yeah, I just saw it, uh, this ad for the Arvon Foundation course that it was like a light bulb moment because the only people that wrote video games at that point were uh, Rihanna Pratchett. <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> Terry Pratchett's daughter who wrote Tomb Raider, didn't she? Yeah. yeah. So it was just like, you know, it was like these sort of lofty people who belong to a different world that I was in. Um, you know, I had no idea how they got there. And then I was just like, wow, there's like a course of writing for games. I know games and I like writing. I could, that's a thing I could do. So yeah, I did. I went on that week long retreat and it's not an overstatement to say it changed my life, basically. <laughs> Well, well, let's pause that and we'll come back to it. But for now, let's come to your third game for your console then. So this is from 2004. Got to admit, I was a little surprised by this uh, choice. Tell us what it is and, uh, and why you love it. Uh, yeah, so it's City of Heroes, which is an MMORPG. <laughs>
I saw recently someone saying, can MMOs just die? <laughs> yeah, so by MMOs, for any, um, everyone knows what they are. But yeah, we mean things like World of Warcraft, Final Fantasy fourteen, always on, you know, <laughs> tons of people around the world. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. But all join up and adventure together. And this is like a sort of, it's not Marvel, but it's sort of like Marvel, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. is it Marvel? No, it's not Marvel. It was pre all MCU, which was the lovely thing about it. It's basically, you get to build a superhero and there's this sort of superhero city that's full of statues to the, to I think it's called Liberty City. And it basically looks like skyscrapers and clean blue skies and everything like that. Yeah, it has a city hall, which is, you know, where all the heroes register. You get to be a superhero as though I was part of my childhood was Marvel Comics. Thanks to my brother, though my brother made me the nerd I am today. (laughs) Yeah, I used to pour over his comic collection. Yeah, I loved superheroes and like draw them. At one point I wanted to be a, a comic book artist. Yeah, so when this came out, I'd never played an MMO before because it was kind of intimidating because it had its own language and, you know, you're playing with other people and I was very much a sort of solo player. But the lure of being a superhero was just too much for me. Do you remember what your character looked like, what attributes they had? So I had a beta character. So I signed up for the beta. I actually bought a new PC because my laptop wouldn't run it. So I, I bought a new PC just to play as heroes. And uh, like immediately that day. So I played the beta and I can't remember the name of my character in the beta but she was named after some like very specific saharan wind or something like that and then for the english lit degree <laughs> and, and then um but my main my main character was um seraph so she was very classic marvel so she had the leotard she had the boots and she had the like gold belt type thing, big hair. It was like sometimes it was pink, but I guess I could respec it. And sometimes it was blue. But she had like horns. And um, this the cool thing about City of Heroes is you could write your origin story. Oh, nice! And then when people were running around in the world, they could click on you and read your story. And so sometimes you'd be running along, and someone would like. Um, tell at you and be like cool bio and stuff like that <laughs> yeah it was really cool I love that game so oh, that's much amazing. it's like sort of proto writing for games isn't it I suppose that you were doing there 
writing your character's backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did no, you ever like so find cool. a little group that you started playing with or were you always a solo player? No, no. It's like so when I entered that world as a superhero, I was yeah, I was fully in it. There's a person that I, who was called Demonica who had the same horns as me. You were rivals, were you? No, we were like, <laughs> cool, you must be from the same <laughs> Uh, so we used to hang out and uh, we're still like friends because sometimes he sends me a happy birthday and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, we've never met in real life, but uh, we used to hang out a lot in City, City of Heroes. Um, so yeah, I used to meet up with people like every night and I'm not a very good MMO player because I can't be asked with, uh, once you get to a certain level, you have to like read all the forums and stuff to get your build right and I just can't be bothered with that I just want right, to like yeah. do cool stuff in the world so yeah so at a certain point I was always meeting new people because people would just um lev start leveling up through the, the higher levels really quickly <laughs> whereas <laughs> I was kind of like grinding slowly because I couldn't be bothered to because yeah because I said to Demonica I was like I was like how have you like just like gained eight levels and it's like oh yeah you like here's like this forum and I was just like uh no <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I'm just going to change the colour of my hair, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, City of Heroes. Yes, let's go back to this. So you've done this You've done this course, you've been working on a novel about um, forgetting, mm -hmm. and then you sort of have this light bulb moment of, what if I maybe try that in the in Switch medium and move into a video game? Why did you decide to cast the protagonist as, a, as an Indian woman? Yeah, just because I was tired of not seeing any... Indian people in video games basically yeah yeah I just uh that yeah it's a short answer but yeah. that's what it is yeah <laughs> fair enough and they and, and so how long did it take you to find because you you're not a programmer so you needed to, to pair up with someone how did how did that work was that someone that you met on this writing course or mm -hmm. how did you get paired up yeah, so, so when I went to the Arvon Foundation, there was one other woman on the course called Constance Flurio, and she lived in Bristol. So we both had gone from the southwest of England all the way up to Hebden Bridge, which is you know, very far north in Yorkshire, and uh, to meet each other. And she had a, a games hub for, for women, like a games group, and she's, you know, very sort of organizes a lot of stuff. So... Um, yeah, she was one of the people I met there. And when I went back home and was, you know, sort of focusing on writing a game in ink, I think I was just sort of pursuing that. And I did a workshop in Bristol on writing for radio and she was hosting a game jam that same autumn. So I signed up for that and then I got cold feet and told her, I was like, I don't think I can do this. And she's like, don't be so bloody ridiculous. <laughs> So I went to this game jam absolutely terrified because, yeah, I'm not a programmer, I'm not technical and, you know, I was sort of worried they'd just laugh me out of the room. But it was an XX Plus game jam, so it was for uh, women and non-binary and gender fluid people. So that was less intimidating because I had looked, thought about <laughs> game jams before, but I'd always been kind of intimidated by it. So um, I went there and it was... It was quite terrible because it was almost like you know in PE class when people are choosing teams and yeah yeah oh right yeah. you had to line well, we didn't up have, quite have to line up but people were milling and sort of like hooking up with people pairing yeah off. or was right. it speed dating it, it was like something terrible 
<laughs> and then uh, Constance actually was like, oh, so yeah, just like paired me up with Claire and another woman and so Claire Morewood and that was that was where Threefold Games was yes. born basically. Claire's a programmer, artist and yeah she's just super talented and does lots of things. <laughs> how, how quickly at that game jam did you suggest your idea then? Because I know in those early moments when everyone's sort of saying well what are we going to do it then? Is. Like it could be you're quite vulnerable, aren't you, when you when you put put your idea on the table? Yeah, I think from going to the Arvon Foundation thing, I kind of prepared a little bit because there I hadn't been to anything like that for ages, and of course, they say, "Oh, now write a scene that's like this," and like we'll give you like uh ten minutes, and my brain just went blank. I was just like. Yeah, and everybody else is like furiously scribbling. It's just like being in an exam or something where you've just like forgotten everything. So like before I went to the radio retreat uh, workshop, I kind of like had a look through my notebook of ideas just to see, you know, if they asked me for like to write something in five minutes, I could, I had some things, some seeds in my head. And I also did this for the game jam. So I kind of flicked through my notebook to have a look at some things and there was woman with dementia was just like one of the things. And so it kind of, that was in my head and we threw around like a bunch of ideas. So the the theme was borders. Uh, Trump was threatening to build a wall at the time. There was a Syrian refugee crisis going on. So there was, you know, which is presumably why they chose the theme borders because, you know, it was very topical at the time. So we kind of thought about along those kinds of lines. And then like Sharon, the other person who was in our group, she was like, oh, it's like a bit depressing, isn't it? Like we we were like, oh, it's like refugees or something. Or it's like, could be about Trump's wall. And she was like, oh, it's like, (laughs) and so we were sort of, um, you know, just, there was a little bit of push and pull there, like pulling in different directions. And then I just said, I was like, oh, what about that? I'd have this idea for um, a woman with dementia. And I was like, maybe it could be about uh, psychological borders rather than physical ones or geopolitical ones. Yeah, that just instantly, Claire just picked picked up on that and just like bounced off it. And she, yeah. she, then we were like, oh, yeah, because then she could be in a house and then like uh, Sharon had ideas and stuff as well about music because she was a audio person and uh, yeah it was instantly we had a person like a theme a setting because we were like well she could be in a house then and you know because we've only got so much time to make this things we have constraints there yes useful constraints yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah. oh it's such a good moment isn't it when you how, when you're collaborating with someone and then suddenly someone suggests something and everyone is like, yes, that's the yeah. thing, let's go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, let's come to your, your fourth game then, which is from 2016. Tell us about this one. This is Virginia.
so this game is yes it was interesting because we've come to exactly the right point in terms of talking about the development of before i forget and this was really one of my reference points so virginia is a x-files meets twin peak is the kind of like tagline for it yeah so it has this kind of weird x-files vibe and there's two fbi agents they're both black women so it has these two black female protagonists it's told with no dialogue but the storytelling is really impeccable and then it has the very stylish isn't it like a pre- prestige tv series yes, of it is very very well directed angle camera angles and all yeah, of that yeah it is it's really beautiful and yes yeah, so it has this kind of mystery to it so it is basically the fox molder is a black woman and she's in the basement and it sort of reveals her backstory i think she's the daughter of a, a black activist basically which is why she's kind of been sort of sidelined so you know through association with this person she's um, not desirable so she's in the basement um just like with weird being dealing with the odd cases basically which i think mm. is such a cool idea yeah such a cool idea yeah it's yeah. like a much more interesting fox molder yeah and so this was like a real reference point for you when working on it wears its references on its sleeve which i i like about it so it um you know pays homage to 30 flights of loving um which is this game that you know has these very blocky sort of polygon style graphics um, but it's extremely cinematic in its energy. So it's this kind of... Yes. Is it kind of like a heist type storyline? I can't remember exactly what's going on in it, but it's got this kind of Quentin Tarantino kind of vibe yes, to uh, it. Yes, it's very short game by Brendan Chung, who actually I've recorded an episode with, so he'll be, that'll be coming oh, out soon. Oh, great. Well. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's a very, very influential game, isn't yeah, it? it is. loving, it's, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's really influential. And Virginia, you know, actually, you know, mentions it in its credits. And so, yeah, it also uses... So what I really like about 30 Flights... It, the way that it uses cinematic techniques, uh, like I know we're supposed to be talking about Virginia, but um, yeah, no one leads to the other. Yes. Um, is that it? Um, it's cinematic pretensions or sort of references. Um, you know, like something like Naughty Dog is trying to be a film, whereas this Thirty Flights is very much a game, and so is Virginia in um, you know its presentation. 30 Flights is, you know, this polygon, you know, you're not going to get a film that looks like that, really. Yeah, so I just, I really like the way that that game uses the the jump cuts and then Virginia does that too and creates this kind of surreal, this Lynchian kind of vibe, which was a big influence on us and basically because we were dealing with a woman who would have lucid moments and then would have, you know, like full flashbacks to other points in time and we were dealing with this kind of very controlled space of her house and you know we needed ways to guide the player or sometimes take power away from the player um because that's you know one of the core things that we were playing with was the sort of power fantasy of of you know being a gamer and in control of a protagonist but actually the the dementia is a control in control of sunita 
um, not the player really. Yes. Um, so yeah, so we were sort of playing with those things and we'd use jump cuts to sort of move them around the space and disconcert. Yes, yeah, fantastic. Virginia. Right, so uh, tell me about moving to Sweden. <laughs> What's, uh, we're jumping forward a little bit, but um, yeah, you, I mean, you go from making this acclaimed indie indie game to then joining one of the real big powerhouses of the industry. It's an Ubisoft studio now, I think. Yeah, what's, what took you there? Yeah, so I applied for the job. I was still working on Before I Forget, and I was in a sort of writer's retreat room, like a one-day sort of game writer's um, event thing. And yeah, there were people from Ubisoft Massive there, and I almost didn't go to the thing. So the host, I said to the host, I was like, are you sure I should be at this thing? There are people from like Ubisoft there. <laughs> it seems a bit serious. <laughs> Uh, I was like, I haven't even got a game out yet. And uh, he was just like, he's like, you write games that makes you, you know, that gets you in the room. And once you're in the room, you're the same as everybody else. And uh, he's like, yeah, so it's fine. Don't worry about it. So, and it was true. I was at the thing and they said, yeah, we're working on like a big Hollywood IP and we want writers. And then my now narrative director was like, but you have to be willing to move to Sweden. <laughs> and um, I was just at a point in my life where me and my boyfriend of like 11 years or something had just split up, well, like a year or so uh, ago, but I'd bought him out of the house. And, you know, so I sort of, when she said that, because I was just like, oh, that's nice for people that they might want this job. And then she said that, and it just kind of like hit me like, I could totally move to Sweden. So he always wanted to move somewhere. And I also was like, I like our house and like, I like our friends. And because I'd moved around quite a lot as a kid. So I was more settled. But then this thing kind of like, like I had this realization. Where I was like, yeah, I could totally move to Sweden. I mean, I'm not going to, but <laughs> I could because, <laughs> you know, I'm like completely independent now and I don't need to ask anyone or worry about their job or something you know I'm like a free agent basically and then I did apply for it and then I got an interview and then uh, I got an on-site interview and <clears throat> then they offered me the job and then I was just like <laughs> oh no this is happening <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was just a joke yeah <laughs> exactly yeah and then I spoke to my uh my ex on the phone and I was like yeah so I think I'm moving to Sweden and he just laughed and he's just like what and it's like I know it's <laughs> always just like how did that happen it's the wrong way around how was it when you turned up did it feel like you'd made the right decision yeah it did um I mean I spent like six years in Amsterdam when I was a kid so yeah. Yeah, it felt nice to be back in Europe again. It felt a little bit like the Netherlands, um, the kind of vibe of the, the city. And then, yeah, like Massive is just full of really nice people. It has this kind of college campus vibe. It reminded me of being at my international school in the Netherlands, actually, um, just like because it's, you know, full of people from all over the place and it's young and you know people were always having parties and we were always going clubbing and stuff like that it was almost like being back at uni it was kind of cool yeah. you know that was obviously pre-pandemic uh everyone's exhausted yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice and um i mean something that you've written about a lot in your career was the the lack of diversity i guess in the games industry particularly in the uk which has has quite a poor 
representation, I would say, of, of black people. I think there was a UK, the UK Trade Association for the games industry found just 10% of the workforce in the UK, in the game video games industry, are black, Asian, minority, ethnic backgrounds. I'm imagining that might be similar in Sweden. I think it can be helpful maybe for people to understand what it's like walking into a room where you're the only person who looks like you. Mm. Yeah, I guess you. in some ways you kind of get used to it like because video games is such a white space that the only time that, not the only time, but if you're working in a not toxic atmosphere which you know fortunately I am the times that you recognize that you're the only person in the room is when you're not so I was in a video recording session it was majority black and I was just like oh my god this is so cool it was like the first time I'd been in a in a work environment because the actor was black the audio engineer was black and I I'm black and then it was only the director who was white and uh it was just like that's cool <laughs> um so yeah so I guess that yeah it depends who you're who you're in a room with you know which room you've walked into <laughs> right yeah and I guess sometimes you know you have you can have more emotional labor you know like if you're the only black person in the room and um other people ha- have are just like sitting in their blind spots um you know completely unaware then you're the person that's always bringing up the the representation question or i don't know like fighting for the candidate who has slightly less experience or has no triple a experience but has lots of talent or whatever it might it be is. all those sorts of things and then i guess it's always like if it takes you longer to get a job or you know to find opportunities you you don't want to sit and think like oh is it because you know I have an Indian name or is it because you know like you know on my CV is it just like filtered out straight away which statistically I've read articles where you know that does happen and some parents you know tell their kids to change their their second name so that you get odd job opportunities you know you don't want to like move through the world like thinking that or feeling that but sometimes you do have to wonder mm. why indeed why don't we come to your fifth and your final game then Shella and um, tell us about this one it's from 2017 one of my favorite games of all time I have to say tell us about this one yeah what's what remains of Edith Finch probably a cliche for a narrative designer to 
have this on the on my perfect console but as a cliche for good reason it's just a really perfect game yeah so it's a anthology game about it has a sort of like poe-esque vibe to it so it's about a, a cursed family the finch family of curse and each member of the family has died in a peculiar way and the house is like the so you are edith finch who's returning to the family home you're the last of your family and um you was... she's like been given it in the will or something and she has to go and you know sort it out yeah doesn't she? Yeah. yeah and each room is like a sort of memorial to the person who yeah who used to own it who's who's dead now and um so you enter when you enter a room um you gain a new story in the anthology and each each character has completely different gameplay and it's just this yeah this incredible journey through to giant sparrow the developer they're kind of preoccupied with storytelling and going inside stories quite often you'll like climb into books and the game is split into chapters and things like that mm-hmm. so it's got this sort of like real i mean you know it's me the the romantic <laughs> child uh lost in books as a kid you know it's just like a perfect game developer in that respect but yeah it goes from yeah at one point it's a you're on a swing in a first person yeah just like swinging as high as you can like some of the games are so so so, so joyful and poignant at the same time um yes it's just such a beautiful game yeah they're quite do- domestic scale as well aren't they because there's one where you're in the bath and mm-hmm. uh, yeah but like you say it's sort of feels it feels bigger than that doesn't it even though you're in these quite quite small scenes as it were yeah yeah and it's also this huge metaphor for storytelling in video games it's just yeah. incredible like you know the history of story and narrative design in video games it goes through it has an isometric moment and then it becomes like fully 3d it's just like it's incredible and yeah and it's kind of i didn't think about it until i put this list together but i think it's one of the last games that i reviewed i reviewed it for the guardian and i gave it a five and uh yeah i think they were all out of five that is we should say yes yes (laughs) yes a five out of five (laughs) yeah that was a history has proven you correct with that call i think yeah 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 what remains of edith finch a spectacular game it is Right, let's uh, let's go through your console then. So we've got Beneath the Steel Sky, Tony Hawk's Skateboarding, City of Heroes, Virginia, and What Remains of Edith Finch. Wonderful, cool. You got a lot there to uh, to work through across yeah. across all sorts of different genres. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, have you thought of a name for your console? We need a name to uh, oh to wow. sell it with. Oh, God, did I not mention no, this? I'm sorry. That's okay. No. Oh gosh! You know to get your notebook out because I put you on the spot. <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, what could we what could we call your your console and market it to the world? Could you know? Gosh, yeah, because that's the thing. Like everybody, when they announce a new console, and we're all like, "That's a terrible name." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember when the Nintendo Wii was announced. That was just everyone laughed for like two days, and then suddenly it was like, "Oh no, that's just what it's called." Yeah, yeah it was. we're all okay. It was. We're all okay with it now. <laughs> yeah. So maybe island or something because I'm an island girl. Oh, lovely! Yeah, 
the Islander. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michelle, just before I let you go, I want to ask one last question. So, you know, you're someone who has, uh, I would say, you're sort of interested in some taboo areas with your with your video games, certainly with your independent ones. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any areas that should be off limits when it comes to topics or subjects for video games to tackle? What do you think? We should be free to examine anything. Interesting question. Um, yeah, I think because you know, there's always the are games art. You know, I don't, I don't know. Would we level that question even at any other art form? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think my answer is yeah. We should be free to explore everything in games that because we want to explore the human experience right um you know that's yeah. what i want to do at least and or at least engage with the human experience even if you're not interested in exploring it explicitly yeah. to do that we need to have access to everything yeah. to explore yeah. i really like what you said at the beginning actually about how you know even if you're examining a traumatic period of history even it's not constant trauma for the people within that there's mm-hmm. still moments of human connection and levity and hope and all of that stuff um which i think is a good rule rule isn't it so yeah yeah it is about finding you know, i have done a talk on um you know like how to make games with this sort of a respect for what your game is about to go beyond the oh, that's kind of cool, initial curiosity about something and to Mm. sort of unpack why you're telling that story. Are you the right person to be telling that story? Approach it with some sense of responsibility um, for for the story or the topic. Mm. Yes, indeed. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for, for being so open and sharing your story and everything. And thank you for your work as well, which we... We all appreciate, and we're super looking forward to your to your Windrush Tales game as well. Oh, so, thank you! Uh, Thanks for having yes. me. <laughs> no, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much to my guest Shella Ramanan. What a lovely person Shella is and so enjoyed hearing her perspective on games, how she got into this industry, quite an unusual route, but just wonderful to hear her story there. And I think as well that sort of slightly left field perspective and route into games as a novelistic literary person deciding to tell stories in this particular area has led to some uh, interesting work, particularly with Threefold Games. That is Shella and her partner there, uh, development partner Claire Morwood, and the two of them made Before I Forget the Game about living with a g- degenerative brain condition. And then, of course, the Tales of Windrush game that is coming uh, at some point. You can, in fact, I believe, play a bit of Windrush Tales or at least see some of the development materials in the British Library. I know this because I have a guest coming on from the British Library who talks about some of the exhibitions they have there at the moment, some of the video game related exhibitions, and uh, they mention the Tales of Windrush game. So I'll leave you to listen to that episode as and when it comes out, but if you are in London in the next few days and weeks, then you can pop by the British Library and see a bit of what Shella has been up to. 
In terms of the Avatar game, again, I'm not quite sure if that has a release date yet, but I imagine that'll be uh, make a big splash as and when that arrives as well. Uh, that studio has produced some great work, and uh, it's wonderful to know that the game will have Shella's voice and perspective as part of the stories it is attempting to tell. Thank you for listening this far into the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, why not leave us a little review? You can do so on iTunes, uh, the podcast app, or on Spotify. I think you can just tap the little uh, star rating button. Uh, It will help people to find the podcast. If you want a bit more My Perfect Console content, then please do head to www.patreon.com forward slash My Perfect Console. You can become a supporter for just $5 or £4.50 a month, I think it is. You will get all sorts of benefits Uh, You get your episodes early and ad-free, of course, but you also get information on the guests that are coming up monthly. You get voting rights in the My Perfect Console knockout competition coming later in the year. Uh, Some bonus episode content as well. So lots of things that you can read more about at that uh, address. And of course, becoming a supporter just does help keep uh, keep it all happening, (laughs) I guess. Uh, Right, so... I think that's probably enough from me this week. It's uh, it's lovely to have you along for the ride. If you do want to write to me with any thoughts or comments or suggestions, then it's myperfectconsole at gmail.com. Okay, I will be back again next week with a new guest with their five games and one more perfect console. Till then, have a great week. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.